0: Hi there. Thanks for listening. This episode is sponsored by Matt, The Mortgage Guy, a California mortgage broker and real estate investor with your interest in mind. For good, honest advice and any of your residential financing needs, go ahead and shoot him a message at at mattatthemortgageguy.com or feel free to text him directly at 916-529-7600. Remember, when you're ready to apply, call Matt, The Mortgage Guy. And just so you know, for one rental at a time, fans, he is waiving his six ninety-five processing fee. Take care.
1: All right, it is Friday, and I am here with our normal recurring guest and Michael Zuber. How are you, Michael?
0: Doing very well. Been looking forward to this one.
1: Awesome, awesome. Yeah, me too. I've been excited about this all month. We also have Adrian Hernandez. How are you, Adrian?
0: Yeah, I'm excited about today. I'm excited to hear what Barry has to say and excited to be on with you, Ty, and you, Michael. I know today's going to be a really impactful show. I'm definitely excited. Thank you for bringing us on.
1: I love it. I love it. So today we have a very, very special guest, Mr. Barry Habib. He is the founder and CEO of MBS Highway. He's also an Amazon number one bestseller um, in the space of an expert in the housing and mortgage markets. And really, I think the one thing that I really wanna stand out is that Barry's been doing this for a long time and has been incredibly accurate in being able to call markets, call interest rates. He is the leading expert when it comes to mortgage originators, um, companies that, mortgage companies, people that are investing in mortgage backed securities. Barry is the go-to guy and an industry leader. He's been on CNN. CNBC, he's been on Fox, and this guy is an absolute expert. I'm happy to have you. Thank you for joining us, Barry.
2: Thank you. Good to be with you, Ty and Adrian and Michael. Thank you, guys.
1: Love it, love it, love it. So I want to just I'm gonna ask the first question, and I just want to get into like what are you seeing the overall? I mean, our real estate businesses are booming, multiple offers, we're you know, high demand. We're getting lots of appreciation on the assets that we own. How are you seeing it from the point of view of your expert expertise in terms of what's going on in housing and just the mortgage markets?
2: So we think housing is going to continue to do very well because there's just much more demand than there is supply. You know, we've been very blessed that we've called the housing market accurately. Many people are thinking that the housing market wouldn't do well. You know, you get like Adam Data that's been calling for a crash forever and Diana Olek who constantly spews uh, negativity about the housing market for years now. And then you've got, that's on CNBC and then you've got Housing Wire talking about homes not being affordable. And we hear that almost every day on CNBC too. And then you, you've got the uh, Crash Brothers saying that values are going to drop 40%. So what, what I think that they all fail to realize is the dynamic between demand and supply. Uh, there's far too much demand in housing right now. They look at the wrong metrics when it comes to home prices. We'll get to that in a second. But what we've looked at and what was helped us to accurately forecast the housing bust back in 2007, 2008, 2009, and what has accurately called the housing return. I remember being on CNBC in December, 2012, saying that we've reached the bottom and they all laughed at me and said, "That's not going to happen until 2015, blah, blah, blah. But the same, the same methodology that we used back then and there's several aspects to it but the predominant one is just the law of supply and demand when you take a look at the turning points it occurs first of all with household formations that's your demand so household formations simply means somebody leaves mom and dad and they go out and they get their own electric turned on in their own name they get their own place and by doing so you create a demand for housing that is met with supply which is done by builders issuing new homes and we have seen the housing bubble occur when demand dropped off and that did so in 2006 now listen to this this is pretty amazing the median age of a first-time home buyer is 33 years old so if you say okay 2006 why did demand drop off so much because that 33 year old in 2006 was born in 1973 if you look at the birth charts the birth chart charts dropped precipitously. Why? Why suddenly were there so few births, 1973, four, five, six? Why? Well, it's because in January of 1973, Roe v. Wade, abortions were made legal, birth rates dropped dramatically, and then 33 years later, you've got a shortage of people who want homes. Builders did not pay attention to that, built homes like crazy, and you had an imbalance and you had a housing bubble. For the past few years, you've had the exact opposite. When you look at the birth charts, You've seen a rise in births, yet builders have not been able to keep up with it. So household formations now rising and household completions have lagged. There is no other explanation as to this amazing rise that we've seen. than simply the laws of economics, more demand than supply causes home values to rise. But here's the thing is that this was exacerbated in 2020 by less supply on the market because builders were shut down for five or six months. You don't just put that back. On top of it, you had people that normally would age and say, okay, maybe a long-term care facility is right for me, but who the heck wants to go to a long-term care facility now? I'm not going to go there. So those homes are not coming on the market. And then as we look to the future, what I turn your attention to is the birth charts. When you look at the birth rates from people that are First-time home buyers now, they were born, let's call it, mostly in 1987, maybe to January of 1988. But as you look at what the birth rates were in 1988, 89, and 90, and 91, there was an explosion, literally, an explosion in births. And I don't know why, but there was an explosion in births at that time, which means the number of 33-year-olds, the median age of a first-time home buyer coming to market over the next three to four years, will explode to the upside. You have all of these metrics working in favor of greater demand when supply is just not keeping up. Builders can't build homes. Regulation is going to get tighter. The lumber supplies have more than doubled. It's hard to build homes on the lower end. So when you look at all of these things and you put it together and you say, okay, uh, what can even make it more favorable for prices to rise? There is one. Vacancies are an all-time low. So why does that affect prices? Think about it. If you've got a home and it's costing you four or 5,000 bucks a month to carry it and it's vacant, You're apt to say, geez, dump the damn thing. You know, I'll sell, dump it for $10,000. But if you don't have to and you're living there, why should you dump it for $10,000 less? Homes are now selling within three weeks. And that includes homes that are out there where a seller puts it up for some crazy number that they have no right to get. So when you take those out, homes are selling in like 10 days. There's a 1.9 month supply of homes on the market. Inventory, during the housing bubble. This is why it's so crazy when people think housing bubble inventory during the housing bubbles, three and a half million units. We thought it was unbelievably low at one point two eight billion. But today, existing home sales, one point oh seven million, less than a third of the homes on the market that we had with higher levels of population. So anybody who thinks there's a housing bubble is really not looking at the correct matrix. And there are so many other things that we could look at there from the housing perspective. But it is going to remain strong and you have to win that home, which means sometimes you have to bid over asking price. These are things you have to contemplate. And then when you're ready, we could talk about affordability as well.
0: I love it. Yeah, that's where I I wanted to go, Barry, was to affordability. And again, the first thing I want to point out is is I believe you're the only two-time winner of the Crystal Ball Award, which I believe is for calling... Um, was that for calling interest rates or was that housing price? Or what was that for exactly?
2: So, we got a lot of accolades for, for making the, the very bold call on interest rates. Uh, the 10 year treasury was at 2.875 through the early part of 2019. And I said it's going to go to um, 1% at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Now, it got there in January, but remember, this is all before COVID, before the lockdowns. Uh, everybody else thought it was nuts. And then when it went there, they brought me back on Fox and and, and all all the other interviews. Okay, now it's okay. It's 1%. Okay, you you made this crazy call. Where's it going? I said, it's going to go to a half a percent. And everybody thought it was absolutely crazy. Like, what are you smoking? If you pull up the Fox clip, somebody on Fox goes, I want to debate you on that. That'll never happen. Well, it didn't take long. A week later, it went to exactly a half a percent, the exact bottom of the market, which we call. I mean, exactly, precisely at that level. Uh, because people don't understand what drives interest rates and what drives interest rates is inflation. Inflation means that prices go up. And why does that affect interest rates? Because if things cost more over time, remember, if you have lent money, so now you've lent out the money on a mortgage, you've lent out the money on a bond, you receive a fixed payment, which remains the same. Heck on a mortgage, that's 30 years on a 10 year treasury. It's 10 years. You're getting a fixed payment. So that means because of inflation, that payment buys a little less and less and less because of inflation. If inflation rises, your buying power diminishes more rapidly, erodes more rapidly. You can't do anything about the loans you've issued, but what you will contemplate is say, hey, if inflation is higher, how do I protect myself from that more rapid erosion? I need a higher perch to begin with. A higher interest rate gets me there, and that's why inflation drives rates. And if you understand that concept, we're so low now in rate because interest rates are following inflation, which is very, very low. Because of the stimulus that we've seen, the thought process is, oh, well, rates are going to go up because we've got all this extra money stimulus. But what people don't understand is that debt has an effect where initially you get this surge of economic activity. Economic activity can cause some inflation that could drive interest rates higher. However, that economic activity wears off. Let me give you an example. Someone's going to buy an expensive car. You can buy things one of two ways. You can either save your money up and buy it like we did when we were kids, or you could say, I don't want to wait. I want instant gratification. Heck, who doesn't like instant gratification, right? Give me it now, and then I'll pay it off. So you can do one of two ways. You could save and get it, or get it and pay. Only two ways you can buy something. So when you choose what most people choose on a big car is I will get it now and pay when you get it today, all you've done is take a future purchase and bring it forward. That generates economic activity. The manufacturer makes money, the dealer makes money, the salesperson makes money. And that flush of economic activity gets into the economy, it's called velocity of money, and it causes positive reaction, causes economic boost. But then after that wears off, it's very ephemeral. It wears off and what happens after that? You're left with the bill for the next five years. That family has eight or $900 a month less To create economic activity and what we see is the exact same thing for governments if you look at everywhere in the world everywhere in time i've got all kinds of charts on this it's amazing when debt goes down rates go up why because the government has much more money to put into the economy and that causes economic activity as the economy grows inflation goes up and it causes rates to rise when debt goes up the payments for that debt has to happen because thank God we're not printing money, we're borrowing money. When you borrow money, you have to pay monthly payments, annual, whatever it is, you have to pay interest on that. The drag of those payments sl- slows economic activity, which drag debt down. When you see rate, when you see debt go up, I'm sorry, which drags rates down, pardon me. When you see debt go up, rates come down and we've got $28 trillion in debt. 28 trillion is a big number, a trillion is a big number. You hear it all the time. If I said to you guys, hey, listen, go out and spend a million dollars a day, how many days would it take you to get to a trillion? I think most people would be surprised that it would take 2,700 years. Yeah, you'd have to start off 700 BC, spending a million dollars a day to get to one trillion dollars. We forget how huge a trillion dollars is, and our debt right now is 28 trillion. A year ago it was 22 trillion. Eventually, gentlemen, that debt will slow economic activity, put a lid on inflation, along with technology and help to keep interest rates pretty darn low.
0: Wow, so there's a lot there I want to ask. So first and foremost, it sounds like your interest rate call is for it to go lower because it's very likely we're we're going to be issuing more debt here very soon. In, well, we did, we
2: did say that rates would go up a little bit and we're experiencing that right now, but while most people are thinking, you know, I hear Jeremy Siegel saying the 10-year treasury is going to 3%, <laughs> mortgage rates are going to 5 I don't buy that at all. A lot of people are saying rates are going to go much higher. If you read a lot of articles, I think that we get a little bit of a bump up in rates, but then they will cycle back down, especially when the masks come off. Here's another mistake. People say, oh, when the masks come off, rates are going to go crazy higher. No. Well, let's pray to God, first of all, that we get to a point where we get past COVID where the masks can come off. We can be hugging each other and high-fiving each other. Let's pray for that day to happen soon. Now, when it does, let's not forget there's about 10 or 11 million people who would normally be working that aren't. And because they're on the sidelines, it causes a supply chain disruption. The epitome of that, the classic example of that is how much would you have paid for a roll of toilet paper, you know, eight or nine months ago, okay? So because of supply chain disruption, you have to pay more, that's actually inflationary. When people come back to work, they remove supply chain disruption, and that will alleviate pricing pressure, cause inflation to drop, and inflation the main driver of interest rates along with better credit quality, due to the fact that more people will be working, will have mortgage rates relax, interest rates relax. Whether they go to all time low levels, it is hard to say. But what I'm saying right. is that you will be in a very attractive interest
0: rate environment by any measuring stick for quite a while. That is awesome to, awesome to hear. So the one thing I wanna ask, and I'll let uh, Ty and, and Adrian ask the next question is back to the affordability. That's the one thing as an investor I've been following for 20 years. I've been buying and selling for 20 years, and the affordability index. Again, this is California-based because everybody reports it different. Is what saved me in 2006 or seven. I actually got out of houses right before the crash and moved into apartments, and then came back in 2010 when you know everything changed. So, where does the affordability play in all of this, uh, in your opinion?
2: So affordability has a couple of different aspects to it. One is you know what what are what's the the cost of a home as opposed to renting a home in California, the purchase of a home was in, in, back in 2008 was 2.5 times what it cost to rent. Across most of the United States, it was two times what it cost to rent. Today, they're almost even. Okay, With Most parts of the country, if you take a look at what it cost to rent to purchase a home, that monthly payment is the same. They still need a down payment. However, that's one aspect. But the misconception amongst, amongst uh, affordability is that prices go up, so it's less affordable. Team, let's break this down. Let's do it the right way, okay? Because this is a really critical concept. The media gets it wrong because it requires some understanding of math. And let's face it, math is hard, especially if you're in the media. Now, what we what we want to make sure we understand is that number one, we're looking at the right things. So we take a look at affordability. We are currently in the seventh most affordable market on record. I'm going to say that again, the seventh most afford- most affordable, okay, on record. So how could prices be going up and affordability be so good? Because the first thing people do is they look at the wrong metrics. What they look at oftentimes is the median home price. And the median home price on a year-over-year basis has gone up 13%. And then they'll look at hourly earnings, which have gone up 4%. They'll say, well, oh, median home price, 13%, hourly earnings, 4%. that's not affordable. Well, first of all, you don't look at median home price. The reason why you don't is because that is not appreciation. The median home price could go up and you could have overall market home prices going down or vice versa. Median home price going up 13% simply means the median home price today of 310,000 has risen 13% from a year ago. Why? Because there is such little inventory on the lower end that those sales are down 15%. Homes over a million dollars, they're up 90%. So when you look at the homes being purchased because of simply availability, it, it's skewing the median. What is median home price? It does exactly what it says. It says that half the homes median means, is not average, that's mean. Median means that half the homes above it, half the homes below it. There are fewer sales occurring on the lower end because of lack of inventory. So therefore it skews the number higher. What you truly look at is appreciation. That's between seven and 8%. So let's just say that's in that range. Now somebody might say, okay, Barry, I'll give you that one. Still 4% hourly earnings, 7 or 8% doesn't keep up. Okay, here we go. You don't look at hourly earnings. I know everybody else does, but if you're really smart, got to think about this. Think, be yeah, Everyone has to be a critical thinker. Don't listen to the media. Don't follow the headlines because they don't get it. What if you worked less hours? You can make more, right? Or what if you work more hours? You can make what? Don't look at hourly earnings. Look at weekly earnings. Weekly earnings are going up at 6%. Now, Think about why. If you had somebody that was in your employ and you got busier, is it better to hire a new person, pay a headhunter, pay all their benefits, train them from scratch, or hey, wanna work some more hours? Pretty easy answer. So that's why incomes are going up and how much are they going up? 6%. Now somebody might say, okay, Barry, appreciation seven, eight, six, still an imbalance. (laughs) It's because they don't understand how it works. You don't use all of your money to make your mortgage payment. You use a fraction of it. Typically, it's a fifth, maybe a quarter. So if you go by the average of 20% of it, here's what happens. Here's an example. And you may want to write this down. A year ago, if somebody could have bought a home and the monthly payment were 1000 bucks a month to use a round number, they would qualify for that with about a $5,000 a month income. Now, the mortgage payment, meaning principal and interest, does not include taxes and insurance. So these are averages from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac that I'm giving you. So that level means a $1,000 a month mortgage payment for principal and interest only, you'd be making about $5,000 a month for that payment. But because you listened to all these bozos on, you know, whatever network or whatever article saying how bad the housing market was a year ago, which they were all saying, don't buy, and you didn't buy a home, you waited. Now, a year later, that home's up 7%. Now, interest rates are much better, but even if interest rates stayed about the same, that means your monthly payment would have gone from $1,000 a month and go up 7%, 1070 So your hit is $70 a month. So you would normally think, well, at $70 a month means it's less affordable. It went up. Unless your income went up to cover it. Now, if home prices went up 7%, resulting in a $70 a month increase, does your income have to go up 7%? You see, you have to make, you're making 5,000 dollars a month. You got to go up $70 to get to 5,070 to offset the increase from the real estate value going up 7%. It means your income had to go up, not 7%, 1.4% will take your income from 5,000 to 5,070 to make it equally affordable. But your income didn't go up 1.4%. Your income went up 6%. So, you're, so if the real estate value went up 10%, 15%, that home is more affordable this year than it was last year, as long as interest rates stay the same, but they didn't stay the same. Did they, they went down by 1%. So the home is much more affordable right now than it was a year ago. Even if it is five, eight, 10, 12% more expensive as far as the home value goes is far more affordable to buy today than it was a year ago.
0: Wow. Thank you for that. Yeah, that was really good. I love it. Adrian? So, I, and I have a, this, this question is completely left field. My, and, and Barry, you know, sorry for going down this track, but my, my question to you is, is it, do, you, do we see, and maybe this is super premature, but do we see blockchain playing a role in changing any of these numbers in the, in the forthcoming years?
2: So a couple of things about, about let's say, Bitcoin, because Bitcoin's where, where, where a lot of activity is, is, is being, uh, a lot of attention, I should say, rather, is, is being uh, garnered. So a couple of things you should know, and, and you could pull it up, is that when it was at 6000 I was all over saying that, boy, Bitcoin is looking to me like it's going to go up. And that was in 2017. It hit a peak uh, near 20000 uh, So it more than tripled since we had re- recommended it. And that acted actually as a canary in the coal mine for the stock market. Because when that dropped in 2017, about a month later, we had a pretty big drop in the stock market. We're seeing similar, you know, Mark Twain said his year doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it does tend to rhyme. I'm seeing some rhyming today, I'm seeing a lot of rhyming in the stock market. I'm seeing a lot of things that reminded me of 2000 as well, where the names were different. They were Yahoo, they were Netscape and many others. And today it's Snowflake and CrowdStrike and all these crazy ones. And before it was like the E-Trades and trading platforms and cab drivers were doing this. And today it's Robinhood and things of that nature. Now, we go back to 1929 when Joe Kennedy correctly called the stock market crash and he said that while everybody else thought the stock market was going higher, he thought the stock market was about to crash. They said, why? So I was getting a shoe shine, and the shoe shine boy talked to me about the stock market. They said, what does that mean? It means that everybody's in the stock market. And when everybody's in the stock market, what happens is, is that there's no new money to come in to push prices higher. Now, will we see stocks go up from here? Well, if you're going to get $2,000 and you don't have to pay your rent, where are you putting that? In online gambling or in Robinhood? So we are seeing a lot of, impetus to push the stock market higher but on a valuation perspective and one day it will matter valuations are in the 100th percentile in the history of the stock market in other words this is the most expensive stock market in the history of the world so for the united states pardon me it doesn't mean it can't go higher all it means for me personally i can't tell anybody else what to do but i can tell you it's got my antenna up and i am watching To see if there's a reversal because when that does occur it's said that the stock market will cause the most damage to the most people at the worst time and because of tina there is no alternative tina so many people including people that maybe should be more focused on cash preservation aren't getting anything in interest rate so everybody's loaded into the stock market when somebody eventually pulls the plug on this thing and a mentor of mine told me that over 20 years ago when I was looking at the stock bar, he says, Barry, one day, somebody's going to pull a plug on this thing. It's not going to be pretty. And sure enough, it was. We watched the NASDAQ go from 5,032 to about 1,100. Okay. Um, he said, it's going to happen. And I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I think that we should all be careful. Now, if and when we do get a pullback, that will help interest rates because as a seesaw, Money comes out of the stock market, goes into the bond market. Now you asked about Bitcoin. The day Janet Yellen was appointed, I told all our subscribers, I went on a lot of shows like this saying, okay, here's what you need to watch. Now, Bitcoin was 13,000. Watch Bitcoin, watch yields go up, watch gold and watch silver go up. And sure enough, they've all gone up. And it was because Janet Yellen has a history of wanting to debase the currency and the dollar has tanked. She just got appointed two days ago, but the dollar started tanking on, she, she just came to office two days ago, but the dollar started tanking on her appointment because they know that there isn't a spending program in the world that she doesn't like. She was not a good fed chair. She's not going to be a good treasury secretary and she is just going to spend. What was her first speech? The first time she picked up a microphone and got behind it. She's like, go big, spend big. She's crazy. And (laughs) Stephen at least used to keep Jerome Powell in check. When Jerome Powell said, well, we got to buy everything. Let's buy bonds of McDonald's and Apple. Apple? Does the Fed have to take money and buy bonds of Apple? Apple? Have you seen the stock price? Have you seen what it's done? They've got $400 billion in cash that they don't know what to do with. They could buy multiple countries with that. We have to buy their bonds? Do they need our help? Really? This is what he wanted to do. Steve Mnuchin said, slow down there. Janet Yellen, says, oh, you got a big fire, a dangerous fire going, (laughs) ha ha, let's take gasoline and throw it all over it. And the markets realize that. That's why you saw interest rates rise as well, because the fear that there's going to be just exorbitant spending, which in the short term acts like a party, but there is always a hangover that occurs afterwards.
1: Wow. So So strong. So strong. Thank you, Barry. Barry, I know that we're just, we're at the tail end here, what is the best way for people to follow you? And what's the best platform that you like people to follow you and stay in touch? So, you
2: know, if if you want to know what's going on in the real estate market, interest rates on a day-to-day basis, you want to know the forecast for your market and the gazillion tools that we have to make the correct analytics, go to MBS Highway and go ahead and become a member there. uh, And you'll get that every single day. If you really want to be really super smart and you want to take this to the next level and invest in the best thing that there is to, there's one investment that is never going to be matched by anything else. Everybody says, okay, where's the best investment? Where do you put your money? Away? Here's what you do, you put it here. You invest in your brain. That is the number one investment that any individual can make. And that's in education, following you guys, watching your show. We have a course that's called CMA, Certified Mortgage Advisor, but it can apply to anybody in the financial markets who has an interest in the financial markets. Take the course. If you go to the Facebook page and you see every single person has taken the course, taken the test, gotten their certificate, Every single one of them says it is completely life-changing. If you want to learn technical analysis about your stock trades, entry points, exit points, really understand the stock market, the bond market, how to invest, how to grow your retirement, how to pay for kids' college education, understanding the real estate market, understanding how APR is misleading and stupid and can cost you money. If you want to understand a hundred different things like that that will change your life, then go to becomecma.com and I'll give you a gift. Put in the code BH2 and you'll save 300 bucks.
1: Love it. Love it. Barry, thank you so much. I mean, I know that we could go for another half hour, you know, and I really appreciate and value. We all three of us appreciate and value your time. I know all the listeners, all the audience, everybody who watches this. We really appreciate your time. We'd love to have you back. Can you come back in like 90 days? Is that possible?
2: We'll take a look at that for sure.
1: Thank you so much. Barry Habib, MBS Highway, Mr. Michael Zuber, Adrian Hernandez. Thank you guys so much.
0: We'll see you soon. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, T-Y.